great to be able to be with you and to start a new series on this, uh, this letter, this letter that John writes. It's going to be helpful if you have the passage open there, either on your phones or your Bibles. Uh, we'll be looking at that together. Well, let me ask this question. What does it mean to have fellowship with God? Our fellowship is this often kind of weird, sort of Christianized word. We don't often use it much, uh, particularly not in the wild out there. It seems to be this thing that we just kind of have in church. But what does it mean? What does it mean to have fellowship with God or just perhaps to even have fellowship with one another? Is coffee and biscuits after the service, is that fellowship? Is that what we want to classify as fellowship? Or is it something more? Is it something like uh, the fellowship of the ring uh, in the Lord of the Rings? Is that what we're talking about? The fellowship of the ring? I'm talking about fellowship because that's the way John starts his letter. Look at uh, verse 3. He says there, "Uh, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we're thinking about fellowship. That's the way John opens his letter. And the question that this passage places before us is, do we have fellowship with God? Do we have a close relationship with Him? Have we aligned ourselves with God's plans and purposes? That's what fellowship with God means. It means knowing God and aligning ourselves with His plans and His purposes. Uh, In this sense, Tolkien got it right. It's the fellowship of the ring, united together with a common plan and purpose, knowing one another uh, in in this kind of bonding and this fellowship, working together towards a common goal uh, with God. And so here's the question, do you know God? Do you have fellowship with Him? And that's a pretty deep question. How how would you answer that? Is fellowship with God about knowledge? Is it about knowing things about God? About being able to recite the creeds or regurgitate, regurgitate portions of Scripture or outline doctrines? Is that what knowing God is and fellowship with God is? Is it about knowing things about God? Or is it about a feeling? You know, fellowship with God is, is about knowing in your heart that you know Him, that you have fellowship with Him. Is that how you'd answer that question? Well, here in this passage, John gives us three tests to help us see if we really do know God, if we really do have fellowship with Him. And as we start this letter, as we look at these three things, you need to know that he's not trying to weed out imposters. John's purpose is not to make his readers feel bad or to make us feel bad and to doubt our salvation, to doubt if we really know God. Actually, John's purpose is to give us assurance. John is writing this kind of generic letter that's designed to be passed around and to be read by different churches in the first century. And he's writing to a group of people that have been through some difficult things. And so they need not more doubts, but they need assurance. And John really wants to assure his readers 
and us that we do really know God, that we do really have fellowship with him. And so how, how can we tell if we have fellowship with God? Well, number one, firstly, fellowship with the apostles. Do we have fellowship with the apostles? Look at verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, part of the problem that the churches are facing, that John is writing to, is that some false teachers have come into the church and been proclaiming and teaching some different things. And so John needs to assure his readers that they're doing the right thing by rejecting those other false teachers and sticking with the apostles. And John's point, as you see it there, is that if you stick with the apostles, if you have fellowship with them, then you will have fellowship with the Father and with the Son through them. See, John's point, very simply, is that you cannot know God unless you know the apostles. There is no fellowship with God unless we have fellowship with the apostles. But what does that mean? And why is it so important that without them we, we don't have God? Well, look at verses 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Did you notice all the verbs in there? See, the apostles, they've heard, they've seen, they've looked at, they've touched. They are witnesses to the word of life. Now, there were plenty of people who had seen Jesus and heard what he taught. But the apostles, they were the designated witnesses by Jesus himself. And so to reject the apostles was to reject Jesus. There was no word of life without the apostles' teaching. And so what about us, right? We, we live at a time where the apostles are long dead. How do we have fellowship with them? It's not like we can uh, catch up with them for a coffee. Uh, that doesn't work anymore. Well, the primary way that we have fellowship with the apostles is through their teaching. We have fellowship with the apostles and therefore fellowship with God if we are holding on tightly to what they taught. See, they were the ones who had seen and heard and saw the Lord Jesus, not us. And so we can't know God, we can't know Jesus unless we are clinging to the teaching of the apostles. Uh, there's this uh, famous Christian hymn called He Lives. It goes like this, He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me, He talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. And that's a great tune, but it's actually terrible advice. How, how do we know Jesus lives? Well, because he lives within my heart. 
Sorry if that's your favourite hymn, but that's not a great answer. And it's contradictory to what John says here. How do we know Jesus lives? It's not because we feel it in some way, and it's not because we've seen the risen Lord Jesus, although those things could happen. Rather, the primary way that we know that Jesus lives is because people like John and Peter and Matthew and Paul and others have told us about what they have seen. They have seen the risen Lord Jesus. And so we can be convinced beyond a reasonable doubt because of what they have seen and what they have heard. They spoke with Jesus. See, we don't need to see Jesus or hear his teaching firsthand to be convinced of the truth about him. We don't, we don't need that. Because what we have is we have the witness of the apostles. And that's what God has given to us. And that should be enough to convince us, beyond a reasonable doubt, of the truth of what God has done and said through Christ. And so we can't know God without the apostles' words about the risen Lord Jesus. And so in the first century, fellowship with the apostles meant like physical fellowship with them. But for us, it means sticking closely to what they have taught through the Scriptures. Sticking to this. And I don't know about you, but I think that's liberating. It's freeing, I think, to to know that we don't need some sort of special experience from God in order to know Him. We don't need to be waiting on some sort of special feeling or some special miracle to happen to know that we have fellowship with Him. We can all know God by reading our Bible. And that is liberating. We don't need to go chasing after the special experience, the vision or the miracle or, or, or the special like speaking in tongues or whatever it is. We don't need to go chasing after that thing. We can know God through his word, the word of life. The word of life that brings eternal life. And so I have to ask us all here, How well do you know your Bibles? How well do you understand it? Not just facts, not just sporadic verses that you learnt in Sunday school, not just Christian books that you've read. How well do you actually know this thing? Not not saying we have to read it. We we are allowed to listen to it. It doesn't have to be words if, if you're struggling to read it. That's okay, we can listen to it on audio Bible, but we need to know it. Without this, we can't know God. Now, sometimes it leads us to be accused of worshipping the Bible, but actually we're not worshipping the Bible, it's just that we can't know God without it. And so if we, if we want to know God, then we need to be committed to this, to knowing it, to studying it, to trusting it. Because in it is proclaimed the word of life, and we forsake it at our peril. That's the first test. The second test is there in verses 5 to 7. And the question for us as we read these verses is, where are you 
walking? Do you walk in the light or in the darkness? Look at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. John says that God is light. And so it's incompatible to claim to have fellowship with God and to walk in the darkness. It's like oil and water, they don't mix. You can't claim to know God and yet to be walking in the darkness. And light and darkness here, they're metaphors that John uses throughout most of his writings, if not all of them, to describe morality, the way that we're living. You know, light represents good, upright, moral behaviour, and darkness is sinful, immoral behaviour. And so if, if we want to know God, if we want to have fellowship with Him, then we need to take a good hard look at our lives and work out how it is that we're living, how it is that we're walking. And as we do that self-assessment, we need to remember that it's God who determines what is right and what is wrong, not us. We are not the arbitrators of what qualifies as good behaviour. God is light. And so he is the measure of what is right and wrong, not us. There's probably a number of us here who think that our Christian walk is going pretty well. But what measure are you using? Now, are you measuring yourself against your friends? You think to yourself, oh, at least I'm not like them. Or are you measuring yourself at, against how generous you're being? Perhaps with your time or with your energy or with your money. You know, look at what I'm doing for everyone else. Or are you measuring yourself against your external behaviour? You know, no one can see what's going on in here and what's in here, in our thoughts and in our emotions. And so perhaps you think, oh, well, at least externally I'm good and God doesn't care about what's going on in my head or in my heart. How are we measuring ourselves? Because, of course, the measure that we use is always going to make us appear better than what we actually are. Which is why we need to be measuring ourselves against God, who, who is light, who is the one who decides what is right and wrong. And so if you're walking in the darkness, if there's some part of your life or my life that we've reserved for ourselves that doesn't match the God of light, then we need to come into the light. You know, walking in the darkness is not a safe place to be. There are plenty of places around Perth that you shouldn't walk at night, and even more so here. Why would you take the risk of walking in the darkness? Come into the light. But coming into the light is a scary thing because it means that the spotlight will be, will be shining on your life. It means that all of your sin and all of your mess will be exposed. Now, I think there are some places that you probably never want to turn on the lights. 
uh, I think of nightclubs. Nightclubs are probably one of those places where you never want to turn on the lights. That would seem like a horrible thing. Imagine all the disgusting things you'd find in a nightclub. But the reason why nightclubs turn on the lights is so that they can clean up. And that's what happens here. When we step into the light, God cleans up our mess. Although all of the ugliness and mess of your life and my life gets exposed, the good news is that when we come into the light, we find forgiveness and are purified. Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You know, coming into light is scary, but God will always forgive us because the blood of Jesus is good enough to purify us from all, all of our sin. And so we never need to be afraid of coming into the light. Because, of course, God has already seen everything that we've done. And he promises to forgive us anyways. And so come into the light. Let's put off our sin. Let's keep trusting in the forgiveness and love of the Lord Jesus, who gave his life up for us. We have fellowship with God when we walk in the light. And so thirdly, what do you do with your sin? Sin is a bit like rubbish in your house. And I think when there's rubbish in your house, you've got three options. You can either ignore it, excuse it, or get rid of it. See, you can see the rubbish in your house and you can just keep walking past it, hoping that someone else will deal with it. That's the first option, you ignore it. Uh, Secondly, though, you can excuse it. So you can say, oh, that's not mine, that's the kids, or, you know, we just haven't had time to clean up this week. Or thirdly, you can just get rid of it. And John says that if we ignore or excuse our sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Look at verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Or verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. See, if we ignore or excuse our sin, then we are just deceiving ourselves. Because the truth is, is that we all sin. We are all guilty of our rebellion against God. And if we're constantly ignoring or excusing our behaviour or our thoughts or our emotions then we're showing that we don't really know God because we're constantly trying to justify ourselves by saying things like, I just need to do this. They, they, they were in the wrong. They deserved it. There was nothing else I could have done or they needed to hear it. Or I did it because I was scared, I was sad, I was angry. But all of that is just self-justification for our sin. It's just making up excuses for the rubbish of sin that is in our lives. But God knows that we sin. 
And so to make any other claim is to call God a liar and to discount the work of Jesus. We all sin. We might sin in different ways and with different attitudes, but all of it is still sin. There were two units side by side. Uh, both exactly the same, both owned by the same owner and rented out to different people. In the first unit was Jane. She uh, was renting there for, uh, yeah, she started renting there, and Jane was a bit of a mess. She wasn't careful with how she treated the house. And so when the landlord came to do the rent inspection, he instantly noticed the massive stain on the lounge room wall. He noticed that the kitchen cooktop had been scratched and dented. And then when he moved into the bathroom, he noticed that the mirror was cracked. And when he made it to the bedroom, the blinds were broken. In the second unit was Jim. And so after finishing with Jane, the landlord went on to inspect Jim's house. And Jim was a very conscientious tenant, but he didn't like the aesthetics of the house. And so in the lounge room, he had painted the walls the colour that he liked. In the kitchen, he'd replaced the cooktop and the tiles. In the bathroom, he'd repainted uh, it to his own colours and he'd changed the mirror. And in the bedroom, he changed the blinds and the carpets. But none of these improvements were asked for or wanted by the landlord. And among us today, there are some of us who have made a complete mess of our lives. You know, we've lived in God's world with the body that God has given to us, and we have absolutely trashed it. But then there are others of us who perhaps haven't trashed our lives, but who have instead lived like Jim. You know, we've lived in God's world with the body that God has given to us, doing what we have wanted. None of it has been bad, but ignoring the true ruler of the world, that is the problem. See, Jim doesn't look like the typical picture of what sin looks like. You know, in our heads, we think of sin as this kind of crazy, wild living. You know, the sort of person who, who was just this, this pimp and a drug lord who did all this crazy stuff. But that's not just sin. Sin is also living like Jim. It's living the way that you want in God's world. It might not look bad, but it's still sin. And so none of us can claim to be without sin. And so don't ignore it, don't excuse it. We need to get rid of it. And the way to get rid of it is to tell God about it. See there in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, our sin is not an insurmountable problem. Actually, you know, God is really good at dealing with sin. That's his thing. 
All we need to do is confess our sins and God will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so instead of looking at our sin, instead he will look at us and see the righteousness of Jesus. All we need to do is admit that we need him. And if we're confessing our sin, then we can be sure that we know God and we have fellowship with him. We can have fellowship with God because he forgives us. He has forgiven us. And so we stand before him pure and righteous. Now, when it comes to confession and living for Jesus, here's a good acronym to help you. It's called APTAT. It kind of comes from John Piper, but I've changed it slightly. I know, changing John Piper. What a... It's your heresy for today. So when it comes to confessing sin, here we go. Firstly, admit your sin and ask for forgiveness. Secondly, pray. Pray for help. You know, we want to walk in the light. And so pray for God's help to be able to do that. Thirdly, thank God for his forgiveness and for the righteousness that we have through Jesus. You know, if we stop, if we just admit our sin and don't realise, you know, that, that God forgives us in Christ, that is an amazing reassurance that we need. And so we want to thank God for what he has done for us. Uh, fourthly, we want to act in obedience. Every time we sin, we need to pick ourselves up and try again. It's a bit like riding a bike. You don't give up after falling off the first time. You keep on going. And actually, one of the problems is when we just give up and give in and stop trying. That's when sin gets us. We've got to keep fighting, keep pushing back. And so we act in obedience. And lastly, we trust in Jesus. We trust in the finished work of Jesus that we trust that we are forgiven and redeemed. We trust in the promise of God that he has purified us. And so we keep looking to the Lord Jesus. Before I end, I just want to make sure that I haven't hit anyone in the crossfire. In a sermon like this, there's a chance that the wrong people, wrong person, might get hit. See, it's possible to leave a sermon like this, doubting that we really have fellowship with God. And as I said at the start, that's not John's purpose. And it's possible to leave a sermon like this, wondering if you're reading your Bibles enough, or you start to question if you're really walking in darkness, or, or, or you wonder if you're confessing your sins enough. And they're good questions, and we do need to ask them of ourselves. But this letter is one of assurance. We're meant to take comfort in the fact that we really do have fellowship with God, that we do really know Him. And so for most of us here, I hope that we do leave with a sense of assurance and confidence in God, who, who He is, and that we know Him. You know, as I look around, as I hear your stories, as I talk to you, I know that most of you are listening to the Word of God, and most of you are seeking to walk in the light, 
I know that you regularly confess your sins. And so for most of us here, let's be encouraged. Let's be confident. Let's be assured that we really do have fellowship with God. But if there's ever a question over any of those things, then we need to be careful. Let me pray a prayer of confession to end. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you made all things and you call everyone to account. With shame, we confess the sins we have committed against you in thought, word and deed. We rightly deserve your condemnation. Father, please help us to walk in the light, to put sin to death, to take off our old selves and to live for you in the newness of life that comes with the resurrection of Jesus. Father, thank you that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Thank you that you have given us the word of life that gives eternal life. Father, please help us to act in obedience to you, trusting in the person and work of Jesus to his glory, honour and praise. Please strengthen us to be able to do his will, we pray. Amen.